first ever Coleman Had a Dream podcast. My name is Di and I'm going to be with Ruth talking about Welsh football on a regular basis. Um, we're going to be talking about Welsh football and most importantly the fan experience. We are both Welsh but live in Boston, Massachusetts and Welsh football is something that we bonded over. Our fan experience is shared over the most successful summer uh, in Welsh football history at Euro 2016. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit, but also people who have contributed to the Wales fan experience in a big way over the last few years. For example, people like the Barry Horns and Tim Williams from the Spirit of 58 have agreed to be interviewed by us so we can talk about what went well for them, what hasn't gone well for them, and hopefully the influence they've had on Welsh football. Each time we record one of our podcasts, we're going to be talking about Welsh football news, Welsh football gossip, games, opinions, and pretty much anything else we can think of to do with Welsh football. Um, it's all going to be recorded in our local pub, so I uh, hope you excuse some occasional weird background noise from time to time. Um, but we hope you stick with us, and we hope you enjoy our podcast. So what we're aiming to do here today is we're going to ask each other the regular questions that we are going to be asking our guests. Just talking a little bit about how we got interested in Welsh football, how we got hooked on it, uh, and our favourite memories about being involved in Welsh football. I'd like to point out we are in Boston, Massachusetts, a little place called Jamaica Plain, and currently in our local watering hole, which is why you can hear weird television noises and questionable songs I'm sure are about to play at some point in the future. So I apologise in advance for that. Uh, so to start off with, Ruth, um, what was your first Wales game and what can you remember of it? First game was at the race course, Wales-England, in the old um, home countries tournament when that still existed. We won 1-0, Mark Hughes' debut, nice goal early on. Absolutely. Um, actually, the irony is that I remember much more about what happened around the game than I do <laughs> the game. I was still at school. So I had to jump on the train, leave school early, jump on the train, get to the junction, and then get on the coach, the hot point coach that was put on. Um, my cousins all worked at the hot point, and somehow I got blagged a ticket yeah. with them. Jumped on. Um, so there I was, young teenage girl, in this hot point coach, <laughs> but bouncing our way to Wrexham. Um, my actual most abiding memory is the stench <laughs> at the ground. So half time, you're looking for the ladies' room go down under the terrace, um, start walking. Obviously, the women's toilets are in, buried in some corner, God knows where. And uh, I'm looking I just look to my left and right, and there's these guys lined up with their backs to me. And I'm thinking, what the hell? And I had to go quite a while before the penny <laughs> dropped. That, of course, basically it was a little tree <laughs> underneath the terrace. And, uh, and it, there was that moment there was like, how the hell did my dad let me come here? <laughs> And then a lock-in on the way home. Oh, nice. uh, so, yeah, that was my first experience. Would you say that's what kind of hooked you? I think in some respects I was hooked earlier because Dad and I always watch the game. And anyone that's read the blog will know I've written about games yeah. before that. But actually, the one if there was one thing, it was at the Spain game, watching Mark Hughes' goal. And at you the Spain game. Well. Yeah, it was oh, at that one again. So that, that was probably the moment where I thought, I've just got to get more of this. Was it the goal that kind of hooked you, or the atmosphere, or the... It was the aftermath of the goal. There was just something incredibly stri- striking, excuse the pun, <laughs> about that goal. And 
there was this sort of reverberation around. You could hear people talking about it and then reacting to it, yeah. like kind of echoing across the ground. And, uh, and it was an amazing goal. And yeah. So I think if there was one moment, it was that. I think for me, my first Wales game that I can remember was Wales-Germany uh, in 93, I think it must have been, uh, or around that time. And I think, similar to you, like my abiding memory, I, I was like nine years old, and I remember when we scored, shouting at the top of my lungs, and it being so loud around me that I couldn't hear myself shout. And I remember like that feeling, like I would say I almost felt like breathless as a consequence, and it was that feeling of like, wow, like this is immense. And obviously, I didn't, I don't really think I understood like the gravity of the situation. Yeah. Like I'd be taken by my mate's dad who had a spare ticket, um, and you're just there, and you're around all this noise and like swearing and, <laughs> and everything else, and all of a sudden, I think it was Giggs who scored. Like the goal goes in, and everyone just goes nuts. And I'll, and I'll never, ever forget that as a moment where I was just like, oh, I like this, mm -hmm. this is all right, this. But I think, I remember when I was, I couldn't tell you the year, but Wales played the Ukraine in the Millennium Stadium not long after it had opened. But I'd not gone to the football for Wales for a long time, like my dad wasn't interested in football really, never really got excited about Wales. Um, and I remember going to that game, having a few drinks, having to get the bus home, with all my pals, um, and on the way back from the game, everyone was excited and buzzing. I'm like, Wales are almost certainly lost, and but everyone was excited. Everyone had a couple of drinks. Like, you managed to sneak in and get served somewhere as an uh, as an over 18, and then you managed to sneak on the bus as an under 16 on the way home. <laughs> and I just remember that experience, like that feeling of like being part of something, and I just loved it. And I was in from there on. I don't think I missed a game for a long time after that at home, friendlies or or otherwise. Um, I just loved it. Um, so for you, I mean, 2016 aside, because I think that would be everyone's favourite moment as a Wales fan, what do you think is your fondest memory of supporting Wales? I actually, it probably goes down to those first, back to those first few games at the race course, because I got to share that with family. Yeah. So my, um, I was going with my cousins, and it was just like, when I look back, that's... I think that contributed to the hook, actually, yeah. that it was it was more than, than the just yeah. just the event. It was the people I was yeah. with as well. Yeah. Can I just say in the background here, someone I think is making a coffee, or we're not screwdriving <laughs> <laughs> or sawing something. If you can hear the background noise, we can't. This is an awfully weird comment. Um, and my other one is uh, the other question we're going to be asking everyone is: Have you ever met a Wales player? And uh, if you haven't, who would you like to meet? I haven't. Which, given I'm... Oh, that's the end of that, then. Given I was brought up in Sunday, now I feel like I should have tripped over <laughs> Southall or Jerry Jones at some <laughs> point. Um, who would I like to meet? Right now, I'd like to meet Joe Allen. Oh, really? But going back... I banked on you saying Chris Gunter, then. Going back... Um, I'd like to meet John, John Charles, definitely. Um, Gunter, I, w I know this sounds silly, I wouldn't want to meet Chris Gunter. I'd want to sit down and have dinner with Chris Gunter. <laughs> I think that's fair. I would quite like to do that as well. Um, for me, I think my fondest memory of supporting Wales is 
when we almost qualified for Euro 2004 and I went to the Wales-Italy game and it was my first experience I think of like being alone in the world like that sort of feeling like there's four of us went to the game and we were desperately trying to get tickets beforehand and couldn't get anything anywhere so we just thought we'd go into town have a wander around um, see what we could see and someone offered us uh, four tickets for I think it was £70 each which at the time when we were like I think uh, 2003 that would have been so I was 19 then like that's a lot of money when you're 19 now Sorry, ma'am, if you're here. <laughs> um, and uh, we got our tickets from some dodgy bloke, and off we went to the game. As we walk up to the stadium, we've just spent all this money, and my mate Lloyd has twisted his ankle on a curb. So <laughs> we've spent all this money, and Lloyd's just like, I don't think I can walk. I don't think I can walk. Oh, we're like, oh, bloody hell. Like, we've, just, we've just emptied our pockets here. Like, we're getting into the ground. So we all kind of, like, arms round him, like, dragged him up to the turnstile, trying to make it look like everything was fine. Um, anyway, we managed to eventually get to our seats. We were in the top tier, and we sat next to this group of lads who were on some sort of, like, must have been on some sort of all day. And, <laughs> and they were sat in the row in front of us, and... We looked over one of their shoulders, so they were all kind of sniggering away at something. And one of them had put a porn mag into the ground. And what they were doing was ripping the pages out of it, making it into paper aeroplanes, and throwing it and seeing how far they could get it onto the pit. So we started chatting these guys like they were a great laugh. And uh, so one of them says, Go on, you have a go. So he turns around to my mate, who makes his little paper aeroplane out of this porn mag and throws it in the the, the, the plane goes straight up and straight back down again into the row in front of these boys and there must have been there's a lad there must have been like nine or ten years old this thing is landed on his lap and he's like oh looking around and everyone's just like oh my god unfolded this thing and he's like he's just like he's just bright red he just doesn't know what to do and his mum is looking around him. and you can imagine all of us are just falling about the place laughing and like to this day I'm like I don't know those lads I've never seen them. I couldn't I wouldn't recognise them but that feeling that moment was like being in there and in that like that sort of like stupidness for what yeah. that, I don't know if that's a word but it was just amazing I loved it and um, obviously we went 2-1 which helped it was an amazing night but I don't know if you remember Giggs I think it was or Bellamy maybe scored a goal to make it 3-1 but the ref disallowed mm-hmm. it and brought it back for a free kick for Wales instead of playing advantage one of these lads had money on 2-1 Right. So everyone has jumped up and gone absolutely crazy, <laughs> and then is berating the referee. Um, and of course, as kind of everyone has kind of calmed down, and this one lad is the only bloke <laughs> in the whole stadium. was just like, yes, get in. Um, it was incredible. It was incredible. And from there on in, I think I was quite lucky. I think that my Wales supporting career started off on a relative high. Yeah, um, I think that's important. Mine did too. And I think if you think about kids who are like who are starting yes. now, like. I agree, I think that's massive. Um, and there's going to be people who are of a certain age who've never really experienced anything other than Wales being great. I'm here to tell you, kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's downhill from here. Um, but yeah, that was just an unbelievable like day and feel. I remember, like again, like going to our local pub, um, like having far too much to drink, you know, smoking cigars as we did, because like, you could still smoke in, in, indoors. And just having an absolute way of a time of thinking, like, right, when's the next one? I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait. Um, yeah, 
uh, for me, I have met a Wales player who is probably the player I would want to meet now, which is Gareth Bale. I met him at Cottrell Park Golf Course um, the day after Wales had beaten Belgium in the qualifier for the Euros. Um, and I was late. And my friend I was playing with that day had said, you need to hurry up. Gareth Bale's just teed off in front of us. And I obviously thought he was taking the piss. And... Uh, and we turned up and it was one of those things like I couldn't kind of make out the person who was in the group ahead but at one of the holes the green is kind of beyond the tee box of the next hole so we're kind of I'm kind of lining up my putt very hungover from the night before and look up and Gareth Bale is just going past me on a bike I said bloody hell it's Gareth Bale and my mate was like I, t- I told you um, so yeah we kind of watched him play around the golf basically and at the end like fair play to him like word had spread so when he got to the 18th green he was just mobbed by yeah. people and people were signing all he was signing all across golf balls golf gloves um, having photos taken and of course me and my friend were still on the fairway waiting to play on uh, and eventually he kind of worked out what was going on and kind of cleared off so we played on tidied up did whatever he had to do like shook hands and as we were going to put our stuff away, he kind of was hanging around putting his stuff away. And I was like, oh, you know, sorry for the hold-up, lads. I was like, shut me, Gareth Bale. You <laughs> never have to apologise for anything. And I think it's the first time a proper, like, especially after the night before, like, yeah. proper starstruck. Yeah. And I was just like, oh, thank you for last night. And out of context, it must have just sounded very weird. Um, but, yeah, and he was amazing. Like, he was yeah. chatting to us for a couple of minutes. He had a photo with us and... From then on, like I've always obviously admired him for what he does on the football pitch, but he was such a nice bloke. He could have quite easily gone, do you know what, lads? And that game of golf, my mate, so leave me alone. But he was top class. I think players I'd like to have met is a bit of a tricky one because there's not many, I think, who are like the old character sort of thing. But as a consequence, I think I would probably go for Big Nev. From watching him on Twitter recently, which, if you haven't done, listeners, is a treat. Um, he just strikes me as a bit of a laugh. I feel like I'd quite like to. Have, you'd like to have dinner with Chris Kenton. I'd like to have a few pints with Big Nev. Yeah. Big Nev and John Artson. I reckon that would be a bit of a laugh. That would be a laugh. Yeah. Um, so I went quite well at the start. Actually, I'm quite happy. With that. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, Fifteen minutes in, I'm quite happy with this. We need to get another drink soon. Um, so our next uh, weekly feature is going to be news but we don't want to do news because we're not going to release this podcast for about another 10 days so whatever we're going to discuss now is going to be wildly up to date by the time that you hear this um, so later uh, after the Wales uh, have played France and Panama we're going to review those matches after we've interviewed the Barry Horns um, so we'll leave our weekly news feature for now however um, as part of that we are going to give each other a question of the week and this week's question of the week, we're going to do it for one another, uh, is sort of news-based as the new Wales shirt has been released this week. Um, I'm not a huge fan, if I'm honest, but as a consequence of this, I'm going to ask Ruth, what are your thoughts on the new shirt? I'm actually in a quandary, because it feels like Adidas have just like given us something. Um, so that kind of riles me. I don't like that idea that they've just like opened the cupboard. They've got to W, they've opened the cupboard, you know, found something red and given it yeah. to us. But I think ironically I actually quite like it. Really? I like I like that slightly traditional simplistic nature. 
of it. It's not, it's not going to be one of those ones in 20, 25 years we're looking back and yeah. thinking, yeah, that was one worth was having. Um, but it could be worse. It yeah. could definitely be worse. And I think I'm a bit of a traditionalist when it comes to those sorts of things. So on that basis, I'm, I'm okay with it. Without, I'm certainly not bowled over. But, I don't, but equally, I don't like the feeling that they've just given us something out of the stock room, yeah. which is kind of what it feels like. I totally agree. I think for me, it's just a bit like bland. I just I really, really dislike the granddad collar. Mm-hmm. And as, as, as a Newcastle fan, we had, like, in the 90s, we had that great granddad collar shirt with a Newcastle brain at Brown Ale uh, badge on it. And I think, like, like, that could have been really good. But instead, as you say, it just feels like we've just got a red training top. Should we, should we put the collar on? Oh, yeah, go on in. As you say, it's just a bit of an afterthought, I think. Plus, what's really annoying me, um, and for people who have seen on Twitter this week or recently, we tweeted a picture of what some of the teams who have qualified for the World Cup have been given by Adidas, and some of them are gorgeous. Like this, uh, have you seen the video? There's the Japan shirt, it's like a, a like or solid blue with slightly lighter sleeves, and it's got like little what look like white raindrops on it, like uh, just it's incredible. Belgium have got one which is a copy of an old shirt from the 70s or something. Germany have got the one which has got the little zigzags on the front, which I think they had in Italian 90, I think, old shirts for that. Like, everyone's gone all out, and I feel like someone's given us a red training top. That's the bit that doesn't make sense to me, because it's not as though they could have, uh, given the timeline, it's not as though they could have just designed for those teams that have qualified. They must have been working on this process. So it's not like somewhere in a back vault is what we would have had if we qualified Jersey. So why the the discrepancy in terms of what different teams have got? I agree. I think it's weird. Plus, I saw someone mocked up on Twitter a picture of Gareth Bale wearing an old shirt from the 80s. And all they would have needed to have done with this, at least, is to put white sleeves on it and put the three red stripes in red. Uh, the three stripes, sorry, in red on the arms. Yeah. It would have looked like... That would have been all right. Yeah. But it would have made it look like they'd at least tried. Whereas the minute... Yeah. Not really yeah, I don't disagree with you on that. I don't think it's great. Um... So I think we are going to have a quick uh, drinks break and we will be back in a moment. So we're back from our drinks break, uh, and I just want to fact-check myself because it's an embarrassment that on our first podcast I didn't do that before we started. My first game was 91, the Wales-Germany game, and the Wales-Ukraine game was in 2001. Um, Andrei Shevchenko scored, as well as John Hartson. Anyway, I just want to, uh, to prove that we are making some sort of effort on here. Also, the bar has become a little bit busier since uh, we've had a drink and something to eat. So we're going to have to try and be a little bit louder. Um, in putting together this podcast, I wanted to think about and talk about the unique qualities that football and sport in general kind of possesses a little bit. 
and part of that is um, this is completely unprepared for Ruth as well is um, the reason for our friendship um, we had sort of exchanged conversation I think it's fair to say on Welsh football uh, in the build up to the Euros um, but not too much you know what are we going to do about it um, and our first Wales game that we watched together I think was the Slovakia game at Euro 2016 we watched it in a frankly weird bar where there was no one else other than a group of us who were watching the Wales game and one family who we eventually scared out of the bar when Superhal scored the winning goal um, so I I'm grateful for the fact that that all happened because we now have our friendship, but we always refer to it as our unlikely friendship. I wanted to ask what your memories of Euro 2016 were, not as a not on the pitch, but necessarily, but of the as we are talking about fan experiences, what your experience was as we are here in Boston, you know thousands of miles away from from what from the action okay so I'd I've been over here in Boston much longer than die so I've been here this is my 14th year in Boston and I got kind of used to Welsh watching Welsh football and being involved in Welsh football being quite an insular activity it was like me experiencing it and um, so suddenly we were put in this position where here we were and we had this potential of sharing what happened in, in last summer and it was like, part of me was like actually do I want to do that? I'm quite, enjoy, I'm quite enjoying my little world um, but nonetheless I got on the train and we went into that, that pub in, in town and I was actually listening to Radio Wells on the train as I went in and as I came up out of the subway the anthem started so as I was walking from the subway into the pub, I probably got about half of the anthem, and then you and I got to share the end of the anthem yeah. at the at the pub, which was amazing. It's at Bordeaux, and when everybody talks about yeah. what happened at Bordeaux, um, and I remember sitting. Initially, I was sitting. It wasn't long before I was standing up, and and it was just that moment where I, it was like we were talking about earlier that actually what Hook does in the early games wasn't the games; it was sharing it with people. Yeah. It's what Hook did. So with me, it was my cousins. With you, it was your mates. And, and suddenly that was revitalised for me, that here I was in a position to share it with someone. And that's the most important part of this yeah. for me. And it's not watching the games like, you know, probably one of my best memories is when you came into work and said, I'm going to the Northern Ireland game. I'm getting on that plane and I'm going to Paris. And I was so happy for you that you were going. And I was kind of, I was sort of happy that you were going for us as well, not just for you. And that was amazing. And then stupid things like, I mean, you dislocated your shoulder celebrating <laughs> that arcade, that goal in uh, against Austria. Um, and like that, like that's just added to everything about watching Wales for me, and that's made it really valuable. Um, uh, we were talking. We were talking earlier about the the game um, against Russia, and I actually watched. Um, watched. That's not the right word. I followed that game on dial-up internet. I'd been here about two months, 
on dial-up internet, refreshing it, desperately trying to follow what was going on. And that sort of became my norm, that just me and information kind of became my norm for following the football. And it it sort of became a norm. Now I realise that I was missing so much. And I think one of the things I love about our friendship around football is that we can have these sorts of conversations. And frankly, this is all that we talk about. (laughs) (laughs) But I love the fact that I'm sharing that again. And that that football has always been about sharing. When I was younger, it was about sharing with my dad. Then it became about sharing with my cousins. Then it was about sharing with with friends. And I love the fact that our friendship has brought me back to that. Oh, that's really nice. I was going to say, I was in tears, but that would not be a surprise, given, given that. So. But what about you? Um, it's funny because I remember talking about the shared experience of when we actually qualified, the build-up to that, I watched the game against Cyprus away in work on my own after everyone had gone home, uh, and I remember going bonkers when Bale scored the header. And it was like, the excitement was great and my phone was lighting up. And, but about ten minutes later, it kind of just like, oh, I've got to go home now. <laughs> and it, and it, was, it felt a bit weird. And when we actually qualified, I was at my now wife's friend's wedding in California. And I watched us lose to Bosnia on a dodgy internet feed in this little hut on a to all intents and purposes posh campsite and I was just like this is unreal feeling and like I was just awash and then I walked back down to where we were staying and got myself ready and Joy my wife was just like oh come on gotta go and I was just like no 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 no. (laughs) I don't think you understand (laughs) so it was for me that day at a weird bar mm-hmm. and then what followed it was as you say it's the beginning of the shared experience I remember like Alan your husband yeah. saying you know you almost didn't go that day yeah. and it, every now and again not that I wistfully think about 2016 <laughs> summer often but it, it, it does make me think like what if you hadn't turned up that day and like it's funny I think because obviously this has led to a friendship outside of football yeah. um, but it's funny to me because that day like we've got photos of and you know we talk about all the time then of course we went to the different bar to watch to the England bar basically yeah. to watch them play Russia and for absolute silence when Russia scored the equaliser <laughs> apart from us two giggling away in the background like teenagers drunken teenagers um, so I, th- I think like the impact that football has had on us I yeah. think I love and I think my memory, my favourite memory, is obviously the Belgium game. Mm-hmm. But for slightly weird reasons, because that was the only game I was properly is that I didn't cry at, basically. And I think I was just so overcome by like, I can't, this has actually happened. I made up for it. Yeah, you I? made up for it. <laughs> um, that I kind of, I just enjoyed that day that much, yeah. and I think that as part of that process and like watching you cry for both of us uh, it was just quite surreal yeah. and I think 
and it just goes to show like the emotion and everything that was attached to it, but also um, like the impact that it had on us both. And I was giddy, and you were obviously happy <laughs> in, in, in expressing it in a different way. And I think it was because I felt afterwards like a sense of not deflation is the wrong word, but like I felt something afterwards like this is the end of it for us. Like I was going back home. Uh, well, we both, we both got on planes that Saturday. Yeah. The game was on the Friday, and we both yeah. got on planes on that Saturday, going in literally opposite directions yeah. around the world. I was heading to my sister's in New Zealand, so I was heading to New Zealand. You were heading back to the UK, and it it just felt wrong, yeah. didn't it? It just felt wrong that we weren't watching the rest of it together. Yeah. Yeah. And like I remember, you sent me like a video clip, uh, like a like a video recording of yourself at half time. And I was that nervous that I'd started drinking at about like 11. So by the time you had sent me that, I was just like, I can't even deal with this. And cried for a bit after the game and then, you know, went out with the boys and celebrated what we'd done sort of thing. But yeah, it was just quite, it was an unbelievable summer as we always reminisce about. But I think the, I think what we're trying to do in our podcast is talking about what the impact football can have on your life as a fan sort of thing. And I think our friendship is a perfect demonstration of the impact that football can have on you. Yeah. And I really like that. Yeah, me too. Well, that seems like a perfect, perfect way to finish this film, but that was really nice. Okay. So here we are after Wales have played France and Panama. Interesting results all round. I just wondered Ruth what you thought about the results and just the lineups in general and the size we put out. I thought in the France game we were probably lucky to get away with a 2 0 defeat. Um, it looked I mean it looked like our shall we say inverted commas usual lineup. Um, minus Gareth, obviously. Um, Panama, I think it was just exciting to see some of those youngsters out there that was, it felt like a moment somehow didn't it you looked at you looked at that team sheet and you thought yeah this is the, this is the start of the next phase um obviously got a bit messy by the end of the second half there were too i mean too many substitutions too many fringe players by the end of the second half um but i think just to see and that the the moment in the france game where the three of them came on you look you know you look at that and you think actually yeah that's we've taken a step we've moved yeah. in a, a newer direction and i think i think Ironically, I think the weekend might become important. In 10 years' time, we might talk yeah. about this weekend as when things switch. No, I agree. Like People talk about you know what Toshak did and everything else, and I think maybe this is that sort of weekend. Saw a brilliant photo on Twitter of the three of them, Woodburn, Ampadu, and Brooks, lined up to come on at the same time. And that's the thing I think people are going to be... That's the moment that people are going to talk about. Like I, was, I thought Ampadu was the big one for me when he came on. I thought he had a real positive impact mm-hmm. on the game. It was unfortunate that he came on and then we scored a f- that they yeah. scored again a few minutes later. But I thought he had a real positive impact on the game. I thought Wed Woodburn didn't contribute much in that game. That's a big ask for him. Just physically, he just looked yeah. like he wasn't there. But as I said before the game and afterwards, I, I thought Brooks as well looked the real deal. Like 
against Panama, I thought he was, I thought he was the one really that, uh, that looked really good. Ampadu was class, but I thought the way he was willing to take people on and run at people, he wasn't scared. He got stuck in. I thought if we can if we can make sure he stays playing for Wales, I think that'd be a massive bonus. Yeah, I think he when well, we've discussed before, haven't we? I think he feels like the one that's ready. That playing at Sheffield um, regularly, I think that's making a real difference to, to where to where he's at. In his, in his sort of personal progression compared to some of the other youngsters. Yeah. So there's, so there's perhaps a debate for a different time, actually, is what's, what's next. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of lineups, I you could see when we switched in in the French game, when there was suddenly a bit more pace on the, on the field. And I think our sort of general pattern of, of sort of holding, holding, holding break works fine when we've got Gareth Bale's pace on the field, but when we don't, we're a bit stuck. Yeah, um, we're relying on the ball to do the moving at that point, and we get caught out too often. So I think I think there's definitely reached a point where we've got to examine where we're getting that pace from, and I think I think there's some, some players that, you know, those legs might be oh, reaching the end of the line. Yeah. And, I think, and I think, you know, as you say, the legs were reaching the end of the line, like, I've never been a huge fan of Andrew King playing for Wales. I've always thought he's just played a sideways pass and he's always played a safe ball instead of taking the games to teams. I thought that was so evident when we played Ireland, for example. Like I had to keep reminding myself that he was there. Um, the, the saddest one for me was Joe Ledley. I thought against France, he looked... And I know it's France, but I thought Joe Ledley looked like he was running in... In, in, in like in lead boots, sometimes I thought he was. He seemed so off the pace and so like beaten easily by what was going on around him. And again, I know it was France, but there was a bit of a moment for there for me. Where I just thought, I'd, if we want to kind of make progress for twenty twenty, we've got a year before the qualifying tournament starts. For me, I'd be phasing Ampadu straight in the middle of that midfield and looking at a midfield three of of Ampadu, Allen, and Ramsey moving forward because I. Those other two, to me, just looked so finished. Yeah. <laughs> when again, I know they're playing France, but if we have, you know, aspirations to play in big tournaments, we're going to play against teams like France, uh, or even in, in a qualifying campaign, you could have come up against a France. And I, I thought they looked finished, which is a sad thing to say. But uh, Ledley, especially, but I thought he looked he looked over, which I thought was a shame. But equally, there's so many positives. I thought like. The, the three youngers who come on I thought were great made a big impact on the game and I thought against Panama especially I thought Tom Lawrence looked, looked really like he's got something that we could really exploit his pace he was direct scored a good goal classy goal, yeah. classy goal. Um, I think the big problems for me revolve around our defence and I'm not going to steal your point <laughs> you made to me earlier but well, that, that's a perfect point I think Dave and I were discussing the um, the 5-4 combination at the back and which what we favoured there and I think you know we've settled into a pattern of having five at the back um, and my concern is if we if we go that way is we're pulling Ben Davis to central and I feel like we're missing out on his abilities as a sort of push forward wing back you look at what hap what's happening at Spurs and how they've, how they've been utilising him so far this season and I think if we pull him inside as part of a three, we're missing that. And, it, and, and we haven't got, it's, it's not as though 
Taylor can really complement that pace in quite the same way. Um, so I don't know whether we should start more consciously moving to a back four where we can let Ben Davis go a little bit more on the wing, but then you've got to have a real solid central two. And, you know, historically, Chester and Williams, they, they, they've done that. Um, but what, you know, what does that mean to us going forward? Will, that, will, that, will they handle that? Uh, and it might be that, that if we've got the extra pace through the Brooks or the Lawrence of the world, then maybe we can be indulgent and have five, uh, yeah. five at the back and, and hold, him back, hold Ben Davis back a little bit. Uh, that, I think that's what I'd like to see going forward, is more, a more conscious addressing of, the, of that back four or five, in whatever combination yeah. it is. Because I kind of feel we've got some incredibly good permutations in the mid, in midfield. Yeah. Um, and maybe Brooks is going to be a, a compliment up front that we've been looking for. Maybe that's where he will end up. I think it's really interesting that we all seem to have slid Ampadu in as a defensive midfielder, despite what we were thinking that of a few weeks ago. Uh, and I think, again, we might have to look at whether that's a sort of temporary scenario for him. As he matures grows, he's presumably still got a lot of growing to do, yeah. as he grows, bulks up, gets the strength, maybe then he's pulled further back, maybe he still does become a central defender, yeah. but perhaps that's five or six years down the line. And do you know what, if that does happen as well, he'd be a hell of a player to have back there, like his passing ability and his decision making and stuff like that I thought was yeah. fantastic. And I got a message off a friend of mine at the end of the game, said the reason he liked him so much it's because he's got a bit of evil in him. <laughs> and that's true. Like, you know, for a 17-year-old boy, yeah. the tackle he got booked for, yeah. Jesus, like, it was, you know, there was no Water pulling line. out of that with it, <laughs> do you know what I mean? He was yeah. strong, he yeah. was aggressive, he was physical. Yeah. And I agree, I really like that in him. And for that reason, I prefer to see him in, in the midfield role. But, as you say, if he does drop back, we've got a hell of a centre-half there. You know, give him five years, he's 22. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, what, what, future he's got and I think I think I agree with your point massively about the five and the four like I thought Neil Taylor looked massively off the pace against France I don't know how much he's been playing uh, how much club football he's been playing but I thought he kind of looked off the pace a little bit and against Panama even some of his deliveries were a bit wayward and I would much prefer to see Ben Davis there and plug that centre-half gap somewhere else but I remember listening to the Feast of football podcast with Ellis James and Danny Gabadon saying Wales everyone's talking about Wales finding a plan B as it stands there's actually an argument whether we have a plan A and like that I think that's absolutely spot on like I'm not sure we, what our plan A is at the minute anymore because we are chopping and changing at the back and utilising people in different ways and to an extent like where does that leave Chris Gunter if we play a four or five and which system best suits him is it the system that suits Ben Davis the best as well like there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I'm not sure whether Coleman will have found an answer yeah. to too many of those uh, playing two very varied opposition, which perfectly leads me, speaking of Chris Coleman, <laughs> should he stay or should he go? I heard a lot of things on Twitter of people saying he's entirely responsible for what happened against Ireland, and he made a few bad decisions in that game. Uh, equally... He's got us to where we are. Should we, should we stick with him? You know, is he the right man to take us forward? Is he going to stay? 
So I'll ask you those two questions. Is he the right man to take us forward, and is he going to stay? My, the answer, my, my answers are yes, and I'm worried it's a no. <laughs> um, I want him to stay because I, you look partly, and I don't like the fact that it's partly for this reason. But I'm not very taken with what any of the options might be either. Totally and I, and then then you worry that he's staying because he's staying. Um, but equally, I think we're at such a building point. I like the stability that he would bring. I like, I think the team, his backroom team, clearly work very well together. So I, I think you're not just disrupting one area, are you? You're disrupting a lot, yeah. potentially. So I think there's plus points in that. I'm actually less positive that he'll stay after these two games than I was before. And I'm, I can't put my finger on why, particularly. Um, Partly, perhaps that rumor about the FAW, maybe or maybe not, you know, with those other two contracts that he's interested in for the permanent roles for his backroom staff. I mean, if we're actually at a point where FA Wales are arguing about that sort of thing, then we're back in the dark ages. And, I, and for God's sake, I hope we're not. And I don't believe we are. Um, but I think that's left me with a worry because that it's the first time in ages it's felt like the FA of Wales has not been doing things right and I'm hoping it's just a clickbait rumour and perhaps <laughs> there's nothing to it you know I, I hope I hope I hope there's nothing to it I, but and, and I, if I'm honest I think the FAW has learned from things in the past yeah. I don't think we'd be stupid enough to do that again yeah. you know Ryland Morgan has worked at you know Premier League clubs he's worked at Liverpool yeah fitness conditioning coach and Ian Mitchell I think it was at Swansea before he got on board with Wales you know he's he's made a massive difference and you know if you read interviews or and don't take me home and books about you know that summer he had a massive role to play in what was achieved and I think there's enough people in the FAW who are aware of what difference they make at the end of the day say it costs you 200 grand to give them a contract the money you'd spend re-recruiting, yeah. buying, getting a new manager in, and paying their wages and everything that goes with that, they'd bring their own back team, backroom team in. I think if it comes to a point where it's about money, then I don't think it's really about money. It's about pig-headedness. They don't want to spend it, and I, I, I really don't think we're there. And I think we are better than that. To me, there's probably still a nagging doubt, but. A, I definitely want him to stay because I do think he's the right man. The players are following what they're saying him. There's an element of we don't, you know, the alternative is bloody Ryan Giggs if that's the case. Uh, you know, I don't know what I'll do, but um, you know, I, I just can't see that happening. I, I, that, that shouldn't happen. Um, we're not in a position anymore where we should be taking a gamble on someone. As for will he stay? I think he will, and I think this week will actually be a pivotal moment in that where he will have spent the week with a lot of talented, young, energetic, fast players who have got, in reality, if they keep progressing, like 15 years in, in Brooks, Woodburn and Ampadu, well, maybe not uh, Woodburn's a bit older, but still, they've got 15 years in them, those boys. I just don't know why in that instance you wouldn't say there's not a Premier League job out there that he's... He doesn't look get an obvious match for any of them, does he really? The only one I was worried about for a moment was the Sunderland job, just because people see them as a big club and maybe would have fancied that. They've got a bit of money to spend, they might have 
gone out and given him the job and said, get us out of this trouble and you know, we'll give you a contract forever sort of thing. But other than that, I just don't say there's a job out there for him. And that is the biggest thing for me that says he'll stay. I think the FAW are sensible enough to give him what he wants in terms of the contract for, the two, yeah. for his two backroom staff. There's not a viable alternative. He's not getting a Premier League job. I think it all points to me that he's going to stay. I hope. <laughs> we both hope. We both hope. Well, we hope you enjoyed our first podcast. Please keep in touch with us. Send us questions, comments, funny stories about Welsh footballers. Uh, we have several ways that you can be in touch. Uh, they are Coleman Had a Dream at Outlook.com, on Twitter at Coleman's underscore Dream, or Facebook, which is Facebook forward slash Coleman Had a Dream. Please also keep an eye on our blog for regular updates, blogs, comments, and that is Coleman's Dream.wordpress.com. Thank you very much for listening.